Good morning, and welcome to our worship service this morning at First Church. Several announcements before we start. Special thank you to Brittany Bumbar for her performance on the piano this morning to start our service. The Agape Service Project, which we've been talking about the last couple weeks, is coming up on Wednesday, July 19th at 7 p.m. in Agape in St. Mary's. As a program where volunteers from our church go there to fill out approximately 1,000 summer food bags for the children of all Glaze County who qualify. At the present time, we have 22 people signed up. We are looking to have somewhere in the vicinity of 40. So if you're interested in signing up and helping out, there's a sign-up sheet in the front pew. Or you can text your name along with the word AGAPI to area code 937 638-0105. Again, that number is area code 937-638-0105. Also on Friday, July 21st, we'll be having a family movie night here at First Church. We'll be showing a recently released child-friendly movie in the ministry center that evening. The movie will start at 8.30 p.m., and there will be popcorn and lemonade available to those who come. Children under six must be accompanied by an adult. Last announcement this morning is we will be receiving new members into our church later on this fall. If you are interested in becoming a member of our church or have any questions about what that process may be, please see Pastor Joel. And now to start our service this morning... Would you please rise and join me in our call to worship? This morning it is taken from Psalm 98, verses 1 through 6. Sing a new song to the Lord, who has worked wonders, whose right hand and holy arm have brought salvation. The Lord has made known salvation, has shown justice to the nations, has remembered truth and love for those of Israel. All the needs of the earth have seen want the salvation of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Sing out your joy. Sing psalms to the Lord with the harp, with the sound of music. With the trumpets and the sound of the horn, proclaim the King, the Lord. Please remain standing for our opening song of praise this morning. Shout to the Lord.
as the children come. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Huh? Isn't that beautiful outside? Awesome, huh? We're going to play a game this morning. And I'm going to pull something out of my bag, and I want you to tell me what goes with it. Okay? See how well you play this game. I have peanut butter. Peanut butter and jelly. Mm. Um, I like jelly. You like jelly? Any special kind of jelly? Strawberry? I have a hammer and nails. They're in the bottom of my sack. You see them? Well, they're in there anyway. There they are. All right. We have salt and pepper. They go together, don't they? Oh, this one I bet you'll get. Macaroni and cheese. The staple of all children, that and hot dogs, huh? I like cheese. You like cheese? Good. And I have a rowboat. And what do we need with the rowboat? Paddle, or what's another name for them? Oars? All those things go together. We've got oars because you can't float your boat without making it move, right? Well, there were some kids one day that was talking to an older gentleman who had a boat. And they were asking them. They had heard at church about faith and good works. So he was talking to them, and he said, well, if we say we love Jesus, and the Bible tells us it's just faith and, and works, works together. What's works mean? Things we do, things we do. So how we act is our works. The Bible says if we love Jesus, we will show it by the way we act. So those things go together like peanut butter and jelly. It just naturally goes together. So if we say we love Jesus and then we tell fibs to our parents, does that go together? No, it doesn't. If we say we love Jesus and we take something that's not ours, does that go together? No, of course not. And if we say we love Jesus and then we say something mean and hateful to our friends or family, does that go together? No. It was kind of hard for the kids to understand that. So the boatman said, let me show you my boat. So he put the boat out in the water a little ways from the, from the edge. And he has his oars or his paddles. And one says faith. And one says good works. So he took just one paddle. And he was paddling. Now what direction is the boat going to go in if he just has one paddle? It's going to go around in a circle. Is it going to get to the other side of the lake or where he's going? Nope. So he can't do it by faith alone. So he gets the other paddle that says good works. And he's working with it. And what direction does it go in? In a circle again, a really tight circle. So he can't get across the lake that way either. So he tells the kids, if you take your faith and you do good works and you use them together, 
you're going to be able to get your across the lake to Jesus. But you can't do one without the other. Because all you'll end up doing is going in a big circle. So faith and good works together will get you across the lake and it will get you to Jesus our Savior. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to make what we do go together with what we say. Help us to show our love to you by doing the things you have taught us to do in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Afghanistan in the last week, in Helmand Province, Private First Class Hanson B. Kirkpatrick, 19, from Wasilla, Alaska, was killed. Also, this morning, the Iraqi Prime Minister Abadi announced that victory over the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, which is known as ISIL, or is it sometimes referred to the Islamic State of Iraq and the Islamic State of Syria, which is called ISIS, has been achieved in the town of Mosul. This was a nine-month battle in northern Iraq, killing thousands of civilians in addition to the combatants, displacing somewhat south, somewhere around a million people were displaced from that city. The rebuilding will begin, but it will take almost a billion dollars at least, and will take who knows how long, because ISIL still retains some small villages here and there and continue to fight as we proceed in Syria against Raqqa, the other capital city of the caliphate. Thank you, Jay. Uh, this time, before we go to prayer, uh, I want to invite uh, the youth mission team to come forward. They're going to be um, leaving for their mission trip to Steubenville this afternoon, and so we want to commission them and pray for them. As they're coming forward, Tori's going to share a little bit about the trip and what they're doing. Um, and at the same time, I want to invite uh, our elders that are here. You guys can come on, kind of come up forward as a group, yep. Uh, I want to invite the elders to come forward as well, because after Tori shares a little bit and I share a little bit, we're going to pray for them. And so I would like the elders to be here to, to pray for them as well. Tori? All right. Well, good morning. So today we leave at what time, guys? Oh, good. Then you remembered. <laughs> 1.30. We're pulling out of here at 1.30 to head to Steubensville. And we're so excited for an awesome week. We're going to be working with kids, uh, probably doing some painting projects. We're really not quite sure what our projects are going to look like, but we know there's kids and potentially painting involved. Um, so we have a little bit of an idea. Um, but we're excited. We're excited to go and to serve the Lord and to see what he has for us in Steubensville and how we can serve the people of Steubensville. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big city, um, and it's pretty low poverty rate city. So we're excited to see who we're going to be working with, and we're excited to work with the people there and to see how God works in and through these awesome kids and leaders. So if you could just pray for us throughout the week. Um, a lot of these kids, it's their first time go, going on a mission trip, um, so they're probably a little nervous. Uh, pray for them. Pray for their parents as they let their babies go <laughs> to the mission field. 
um, and pray for the leaders as well throughout the week. Uh, we would really, really appreciate that. Thanks, Tori. Uh, thinking about something this morning, and I've had a lot of first uh, during my time here at First Church, of course, uh, a lot of things that have been new for me uh, as a new pastor. Um, and I realized this morning that this is something that I'm going to do a second time for the first time, um, if that makes sense. Uh, it was actually the, the Sunday I came to preach and the church voted to call me as pastor was the Sunday that the youth group left last year on their mission trip. And when I was here that Sunday, I got a chance to, to talk a little bit about that and pray with, uh, with the students before they left. And so this morning it kind of hit me. This is the, the first thing that I'm going to do a second time here at First Church. And it's just kind of exciting to be able to do that. Um, just wanted to share a little bit with you uh, a thought that came to my mind as I was thinking about your trip and, and what you all will be doing. Um, I got a chance to lead several mission trips as when I was a youth pastor, and and uh, something that hit me is that when we are when you guys go on this trip, it's more than just about having fun. Of course, you'll have fun. That'll be some good times, and you get to meet new people, and that's a great thing. But in a sense, what we're doing is we're sending you out on mission. You know, it's a mission trip. There's a purpose and a reason you're you're doing this, and the reason is to or excuse me, the purpose that you guys are going is to to be Christ-like. To, to, to fulfill that mission that Christ gave us to go and to make disciples of all nations. Um, and during Jesus' ministry, he sent out the disciples at different times. Right? He sent them out to, to, in a sense, do what Jesus had been doing. He had a ch- they had a chance to see and kind of see what Jesus did and, and, and what his ministry was all about. And then Jesus basically said, okay, now it's your turn. It's your turn to go and do the same thing that I've been doing. And... Uh, and so Jesus gave them instructions. He sent them out at different times. And, and in Mark chapter 6, it kind of gives a little bit of a report about what they did. It says that these disciples went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. That was Mark's way of saying that they basically did what Jesus did. They were doing what Jesus was doing. And in a sense, that's what you will all be doing this week. Um, I know with YouthWorks, you're not exactly sure what you'll be doing until you get there, you know, but they have some things planned for you, some projects planned for you. And it's an opportunity, in a sense, for you all, uh, students and leaders, to do what Jesus does, and that's love on people. Share God's love with them and, and help them in any practical way that you can. That's what it means to show God's love to people. And so um, we just want to pray for you and, and encourage you in that. And, and in a sense, this is your opportunity to, to put into practice what you all have been learning here as part of this church and, and part of this community. And that's a really exciting thing. So um, kind of in preparation of that, we have just a couple questions for you to just uh, just help you to to make a statement of faith, make a statement of, of, of the commitment that you're making on this trip. Um, and so I have a couple questions for you, and actually I have a question for you all here as well, the congregation, to support them. And so I want to start with our participants. Um, do you recognize your mission as being sent forth by God to be his hands and feet in service and share his word? If so, say, we do. Do you accept your assignment as a commission from God to go out and act on his behalf? And do you accept the responsibility of representing this congregation and this community and doing the work of our Lord in Steubenville? If so, say we do. Wonderful. And congregation, I ask you, will you support them with your prayers during their venture and with your interest upon their return, recognizing their contribution to the work of God's kingdom? If so, say we will. We will. Praise God. I want to invite the elders. Just lay a hand on someone that's close to you. Um, of course, there's, they outnumber us a little bit. But um, just lay a hand on someone, and, and I'd love to pray for, for this group as they head out. 
Father, thank you so much uh, that this group of teens and adults are willing to go out, uh, take time away from their schedules and the busyness of life to serve you in Steubenville. I pray, Lord, you keep them safe as they travel, uh, help them to arrive there safely and return home when the time comes. Uh, Lord, and as they're there, I pray that you would equip them and empower them to do the work of the ministry that you're calling them to do. I pray that they would be able to be your hands and your feet um, in Steubenville um, as they go on these projects each day, whatever they may be, Lord. I pray that you give them energy uh, to do it. I pray you give them a willing spirit and, Lord, an attitude of Christ-like love um, with everyone that they encounter, whether they work with kids or adults, those who are in need, Lord. I pray that they would be able to, to demonstrate and show Christ's love uh, to them each day and show Christ's love to each other as well. Uh, a week is a long time to be together, and so I pray you give them the opportunity to, to grow in their relationships with each other and, and, and bond together as a group. I pray you be with the leaders, be with Annette and Jake and Tori. Um, give them, uh, Lord, energy each day. Give them the ability to speak truth and love into the lives of these teens and the other teens that they'll encounter on this trip. And, Lord, I thank you that um, through you this is possible, that you call each one of us to mission. Uh, sometimes that's in Steubenville. Sometimes that's here in New Knoxville. Uh, but, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just equip each one of them to do this work you've called them to do. And, uh, Lord, help us as a church, as a congregation, and as a community to support them in this venture. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thanks. You guys can all take a seat. Don't want to neglect to pray for our other concerns as well. So as they're taking a seat, I'd like to, to just remember those in prayer also. Father, thank you that you are a God who, who equips the call, that, that, that you call each one of us the mission, and you, you equip us to do that. Um, but Lord, you also equip us and call us to pray for those who are in need uh, and lift them up to you. So I pray, Lord, that you would be with, with the many concerns that we have before us, Lord. Uh, be, Lord, present in our lives. We know that you promised to never leave nor forsake your people. And so we are, uh, we are trusting and hoping in that promise that whatever the needs may be, you will be there and you will be uh, a support and guide and, and, and our provision, Lord, when we need it. And Lord, help us to recognize, help us to realize that, that you are calling us at times to be the answer to that prayer. And so as we see those in need, as we see a way that we can help, I pray that you would give us, Lord, the, the faith, the courage to step out and help in those ways as well. Lord, equip us to be the answer to the prayers of your people. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite this time those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Our offering this morning goes to support the Elizabeth New Life Center, uh, Pregnancy Center. Uh, encourage, so um, those helping the offering can come forward. Uh, we also have Bob Grimes uh, leading us in special music this morning. Every day they pass me by 
I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living silent cries only Jesus hears people need the Lord people need the Lord at the Easy. 
seated. The scripture reading this morning is from James 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We'll continue by singing hymn number 455, Come All Christians Be Committed.
Amen. You may be seated. Father, I pray that as we open our, your word together, I pray that you would uh, give me words to speak, help uh, the message that you have for, in store for us this morning be clear and received well, and I pray that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds, including my own, to what you have to say to us this morning. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, we're looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, which you just heard read for you. Um, and, and this passage is really kind of the, the main, the main uh, section of this letter that James wrote, I guess you could say. If you want to think of uh, James as kind of a mountain range, you know, this is the Mount Everest. This is the, the peak of the letter that James is writing to, uh, to these Christians uh, we've talked for several weeks now. Uh, we've kind of been building to this argument. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how James calls us to be to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Uh, he talks us, told, excuse me, he told us to accept the word that was planted in you. Uh, he talked about things like how true religion is this that taking care of uh, taking care of orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. And last week we talked about. Uh, one of the practical applications of that is not showing favoritism to people, right? By treating all people equally with Christ's love and compassion, we'll be able to reach people instead of favoring one person over another. That's a, a practical application of what James was talking about, about being doers of the word. And so here in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, he, he kind of brings that argument, brings that line of, of thought to a head. And he talks about this relationship between faith and works. Um, and all of all of James, this is probably the most well-known section, right? This comparison, this this uh, conversation about the connection between faith and works, and it's also uh, at times some of the most controversial. You know, what does James really mean when he says that that you can't have faith alone in order to be justified? Doesn't that contradict what we read elsewhere in Scripture, especially in the Apostle Paul? So, so we see there's some very important topics here, very important points in this section that we want to to get to today. But the main point that James is making here is that genuine faith in Christ, real, active, living faith, must be accompanied by actions that demonstrate that faith. Real living, if, if your faith is real, if your faith is genuine, it must be accompanied by obedience to God's Word. That's the point that James is making here in this passage. And so he starts by asking this hypothetical question. And not, in essence, what he's saying is, is, can one have genuine faith? Can one have real, saving, legitimate faith apart from good works? Can someone have a saving faith in Christ and, and, and a knowledge of Him that, that is that goes beyond, you know, just head knowledge, but have a real knowledge of Christ apart from being obedient to His Word? That's the, the, that's the question that James is, is posing here for us. And it makes you think, right? It makes you wonder, is that possible? Can that be true? We hear talk all the time, especially in our, our Protestant heritage, about being saved by faith alone, right? By grace alone. And so what does that mean? How does that connection between faith and works, uh, how does that work? How does that, how does that connection play itself out uh, in, in real life and in our faith? And so the question here that James is posing is, in essence is, what profit is it? What advantage is there to have faith apart from works? That's the question that he's posing for us. And it's the same kind of question I would like to say to, to kind of bring it into a, maybe a question we can understand better. What good is it to have a car that won't get you from point A to point B? 
Right? Is there any advantage? Is there any purpose to owning a vehicle or owning a car that's not going to get you anywhere? You may own the car, you have it, but it's never going to leave your driveway, right? What purpose, what advantage, what gain do you have from owning that car? The purpose of a car is to transport you from one point to another. That's the sole purpose. That's the, the reason we own cars and vehicles. And so if a car isn't going to get you from point A to point B, what, what advantage is it to own that vehicle? In essence, that's what James is asking about our faith. He says, what good is it to have faith without works? What good is it to have a kind of faith that doesn't manifest itself in obedience to God's Word? Will that, faith, will that kind of faith really save you? I think that gets to the question here. What kind of faith is James talking about? What does James mean when he talks about faith? Is it merely just belief in something, like believing that something is true? Or does it go beyond that? The word faith here, I believe, uh, is, is more than just intellectual knowledge. It's more than just knowing that something is true. But it's, but it's active, complete trust in someone or something. To have faith in something is more than just to know about it or know that it's true. To have faith is to, to believe in it so completely, to know it so well that, that you, act, you act on that faith. You act on that belief, I should say. That's what faith is. Having that trust that something really is true and acting on it. And so in that way, it's more than just you know, intellectual knowledge or, or even verbal confession. But it's, but it's acting, on, <clears throat> excuse me, acting on what you believe. And it also begs the question, what is... What does James mean when he talks about works or deeds or actions? Some of your Bibles may translate that word differently. I believe what James is talking about here isn't just just regular old action, like going to work, right? Like your job that you have, right? That's, it's more than that. What James is talking about here when he talks about work and action and deeds is obedience to God's Word. I would mentioned already he talked about accepting the, the Word of God that was planted in each one of us, being doers of the Word, not just listeners, about how we will be, we should speak and act, right? That's, those are actions, speak and act as people who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom. In all of those cases, James is talking about being obedient to God's Word, being obedient to, to Him. And so when we talk about good works, we're talking about being obedient to the Word of God. That's the kind of works that James is talking about here. And so to prove his point, to prove that, that faith alone in that sense of just, just intellectual knowledge and not complete trust, he gives this hypothetical example of a person you know, coming into our midst and, and that's an obvious need and doing nothing about him. If you were here with us last week, you remember I shared a, a story about uh, a church very much like ours and a homeless person that walked in, right? There were no seats in the pews for this person. And so they came forward and, and they got to the front and realized there was still no place for them to sit. And so they sat down on the ground and, and one of the elders of the church in their nice suit got up and all the eyes of the church were on him, right? Wondering what he was going to do. Was he going to kick this person out? Was he going to ask him to leave or to go somewhere else? And instead, this elder sat down on the ground right next to him. Right? It, was a, it was a sign of, of compassion and a sign of acceptance that this person was accepted just like all the other well-dressed people in the church. Right? But now imagine we take that a step further. We, we, we see that scenario take place, but then after the service, that elder you know, speaks to the, to the person who's in obvious need. Right? Their clothes are ragged. They look like they're a homeless person. You know, they have this conversation and this person says, you know, I came into this church this morning looking for help. 
I have no food. I have no place to go. I have no job. And, and I really, you know, I have nowhere else to turn. What would it be? What, what kind of reaction would we have if that elder said, well, I'll pray for you. And then goes and does nothing about it. Right? Everybody in the church just leaves and does nothing to actually help the person who came into their midst that morning. That's the kind of scenario that James is posing here for us. You know, imagine someone who has obvious physical needs comes and then we do nothing to actually help those in need. Right? What good is it for that person to just say, go in peace, keep warm and well fed? Is it actually going to do anything to meet their needs? No, of course not. We do it all the time, though. We say, you know, I'll pray for you. Right? We find out someone we, we know we care about you know, has a need. It may not be a physical need, but there may be some other thing going on in their life, and they share, they share that with you. And you just say, I'll pray for you. More often than not, we go and we kind of forget about it, don't we? We may not even actually pray for them, much less do something to help their situation. We do it all the time. We, we kind of uh, use our faith as a cover for not acting and not doing what we should do. And so this failure to act uh, in this scenario that James gives us, it not only hurts those in need, but also reveals something about the spiritual state of the one who fails to act. They know they should help this person. They know they should take care of it. God calls us to take care and to help those who are in need, to help the helpless. And yet they've done nothing about it. And so the conclusion that James draws is that that faith without works is really no faith at all. Telling someone to go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but not doing anything about it is pointless. It's useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. In the same way, faith without obedience to God's word is really no faith at all. I said faith was complete and active trust. And so therefore it must lead to action. It must lead to obedience. If we don't act on it, can we really say that we trust it? If we don't, if we don't act on it, if we don't take the steps to, to live it out, do we really trust it in the first place? Do we really have faith in it in the first place if, we don't, if it doesn't lead to obedience and action? I think it's possible to, to do good deeds and not have faith. Right? There's a lot of good people in the world that have not trusted in Christ as their Savior. It's possible to do good deeds, to do good works, to appear, appear obedient, and to not have real genuine saving faith. But it's impossible to have genuine faith without good works. It doesn't go both ways. As an example of people who have good deeds but, but maybe did not have genuine saving faith, we have the Pharisees throughout the Gospels. Right? These were people who were outwardly obedient to the law, but yet Jesus pointed out over and over again that they were not obedient in their hearts. They were not internally obedient to the law. In fact, Jesus at one point calls them whitewashed tombs, right? Things that looked pretty, that looked beautiful on the outside, yet inside were full of death and decay and corruption. So it's possible to, to appear to have good deeds, but to not have faith. But it's impossible to have genuine saving faith in Christ without that then flowing over into good deeds and obedience to his word. And so James here says that that kind of faith is dead. It does not attain its purpose, right? Faith in Christ is meant to justify and to save us. And so dead faith, faith without works, faith that does not result in obedience to God's word, does not attain that purpose. It doesn't save or justify that person. 
genuine biblical faith will always, will inevitably result in good works. So James continues here, and he, he kind of proposes this counter-argument. He anticipates what some people will say, and so he kind of starts to have a conversation here with, with an imagined um, counter-argument here. And the, and the argument is that faith and works can be separate. He says, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. And their, their, their argument is that obedience to God's, excuse me, their, their argument is that, that faith and works are two separate things. You can have one and not the other. But James says here that I will, he says, show me your faith, excuse me, show me your faith without your works. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, James points out here that they're not contrasting ideas. Obedience to God's word is the evidence, it's the demonstration of the faith that we have in Christ. And so faith and works are, in essence, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. He's not contrasting faith and works at all. He says they go hand in hand. He's contrasting a faith that because it does not result in obedience to God's word is dead. He's contrasting that idea with a faith that because it results in obedience to God's word is alive and active. He's contracting two different kinds of faiths, a dead faith and a living faith, not faith and works. Ephesians 2.10 says, this is the, actually the verse on the front of our bulletin today. It says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 1-10 is, is one of the pinnacle passages of the New Testament that talks about how we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, that it is not of ourselves, but is freely a gift of God. And, and a lot of people point to that passage and say, well, there we are, we're saved by faith, we don't need to be obedient to God's word, right? But then Paul, interestingly enough, ends that passage, ends that argument by saying that we are created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. We're created to be obedient to Him. That's what He has prepared us for. That's the purpose that we have in this life. And so, yes, He saves us by faith. Yes, it's by grace alone. But that faith should result in obedience. Obedience is the response to saving faith. It's the fulfillment. It's the, it's the natural conclusion to having saving faith. He goes on to say, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. God is one is one of the, the most famous creeds from the Bible. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's uh, often called the Shema. Uh, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's one of the most famous statements from all of Scripture and, and one of the central confessions of faith, especially for uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, and so this statement that God is one is saying, like, look, you may have good doctrine. You may know the Bible. You may know... You may know the Bible inside out. You may be able to profess that, that proper faith. But if you're not following it up with action, if you're not following it up with, with obedience to God's word, it's useless. He says even the demons believe that, and that yet they stand condemned. In fact, in, especially in Mark's gospel, it's often the, the evil spirits who are the most orthodox in their belief. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, when Jesus confronts an evil spirit, the evil spirit responds by saying, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
the disciples are constantly fumbling, right? They're constantly messing up and people aren't able to see who Jesus really is. But yet it's the evil spirits that, that recognize him right from the beginning. They have orthodox faith, right? They have all the knowledge, but yet they don't have that saving faith. In the same way, we can have uh, knowledge of God. We can know who he is. But if we don't have the faith to trust completely, if we don't have that faith that then turns into obedience, that, that fulfills itself in obedience to God's word, we're no different uh, and we stand condemned as well. And so then James goes on to give two examples from the Bible of faith in action, of faith that works. And the first one is Abraham. And this would uh, be a, a, an example that would resonate with uh, Jewish Christians that he's writing to. Abraham was, was the insider. He was the hero of faith for many people and continues to be uh, for, for Christians as well. Abraham was considered righteous, he says, on account of his actions. When James here says he was considered righteous, it means that he was put in right relationship with God. He was justified. He was declared right. And so it says here that, that it was through his actions, it was through his, his obedience to God's word and the, and the near sacrifice of Isaac that his, his, his relationship with God was made right. You see, his faith and his actions were working together to bring his faith to completion. You see, Abraham's faith was, was presupposed throughout this whole argument in this story. In Genesis 15, God gives, gives Abraham this promise that through his offspring, the whole world will be blessed. And it says that Abraham believed him and therefore it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the underlying uh, presumption throughout this whole argument, that it was his faith in God's promises, it was his faith in God as Savior and Lord that underlied his obedience. His faith and his works were working together. They were not separate competing forces, but they were one. It was his faith in the Lord that then led to his obedience. It says that his faith was made complete. It was fulfilled. Um, it was brought to its intended purpose or goal. The point of faith is to result in obedience to God's word. Just as I mentioned before, the purpose of a car is to get us from point A to point B. The purpose of having faith in Christ is to obey him, to become Christ-like. So that's what God does in us through his Holy Spirit, is to make us more and more like him, with the result of us acting more and more like him. None of us are perfect. It's a work in progress. But that's the goal. That's the purpose of our faith. And so if we are not acting more like Christ, if we're not being obedient to his word, then that faith that we have is, is dead to begin with. And so it says that that scripture was fulfilled, that, that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Um, that faith that was displayed in Genesis 15 was then brought to fruition through his obedience. It was proved genuine. Would not, um, Abraham would not be considered a friend of God if his faith does not, did not result in obedience. If he said he believed in God, but then didn't do anything to act on it, could he really be considered a friend? Think of our own relationships. Think of that. You know, we, we claim to be friends with people, but if we don't, you know, uh, actually live that out, can we really claim to be friends? Right? If we have a relationship with someone, but don't actually do anything to build on that or to, to, in, in, to grow in that, it's not really true friendship. And so the conclusion then is that we are justified by our works and not faith alone. I mentioned that this seems to be a contradiction with, 
with Paul in his writings. In Romans 3.28, he says, We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But in James 2.24, it says that we see a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It seems to be two opposite and competing ideas, but I think the key here is that James says faith alone. And Paul talks about faith in general. When James talks about faith alone, he's talking about the dead, useless faith. Faith that does not result in obedience to God. And that kind of faith does not save. And Paul would agree with James. That kind of faith does not save. When Paul talks about faith, he has in mind the same active, living faith that James talks about in this passage. And we see it in Paul's writing too. In Romans 1.5, he says, um, he talks about the obedience of faith. In Galatians, he talks about faith working itself through love. Faith that saves, real, active, genuine faith will always result in obedience. And then he gives the other example of Rahab, which, which I won't dig into that because he's really making the same point that he's making with Abraham, that it was her actions, it was her, her works that justified her faith. Rahab was considered righteous because of what she did. I think James uses the variety of examples. This Abraham, the, the great hero of faith, and Rahab, who's this outsider, right? She's often identified as Rahab the prostitute, right? Was also, uh, had, also had con- genuine uh, active living faith. It, it displays that, that that kind of faith is for everyone. It's not just for pastors and missionaries and people who go on trips, but it's for each and every one of us. We can all have that same sort of active, obedient faith in Christ. Just as a, just as a body without a spirit is dead, so is faith without deeds. Faith without works is DOA. It's not that, that when we don't have works, it kills a living and active faith. But a faith, but when our life does not result in obedience to God's word, it's proof that our faith was never really alive to begin with. So the question is, how should we respond? If we're called to have a faith that works, what does that look like for us in everyday life? Well, it means that we need to move past our, our Sunday-only kind of faith. One hour a week, one day a week isn't enough. We need to have faith that impacts our everyday lives. That doesn't mean that you're here at church every day, every hour of the day, but it means that as we go about our lives while we're at work, while we're with our families, while we're with our neighbors, when we're at the grocery store, our faith should be living and active and working through us. And that looks different for every one of us. But, but we need to allow God's Spirit to work in us. We need to allow God's Word to work in us in such a way that it impacts our lives. If we come here on Sunday morning and do our thing and then go about our lives as if that doesn't, that's not important, we're not, do we really believe what we talk about here on Sunday mornings? If we don't allow our faith to impact the rest of our lives, what good is it? That's the point that James is making here for us. You know, we have uh, these youth that are about to leave on this trip, and what a, what a great way to, to demonstrate their faith, to put in action by going and serving other people. But at the same time, we don't have to leave New Knoxville to be obedient to God's Word. We can do that here and now. It's about having the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can ask God to help us grow in these areas God's Spirit giving us the desire and the ability to obey His Word. And let's pray that He's able to do that in our lives. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You that You are a God who 
who enables us to be obedient to you. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have a living and active faith that as we go from this place today, that you would encourage us and help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to help those who are in need. Help us to to continue to grow and mature in our faith so that no matter where we go or what we do, uh, we are displaying the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand in, in closing. Let's sing the first verse of hymn number 371. Have thine own way, Lord. Grace for Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.